Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. All right. Well, we are in Psalm 2. Psalm 2. We did Psalm 1 and looked at the wisdom psalms last week. Yes. And now we are hopping into Psalm 2 and the royal psalms. So royal. What's a royal psalm? If you listen to that song by Lord. Oh, then you'll get it. <laughs> then you'll, you'll get, get it. You'll, but you'll never be royal. You'll never be royal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you listen to the Puddles, the clown version. This, no. It's a man. Oh, I know got, who Puddles is. <laughs> he's like 6'5 and 100... <laughs> 250 pounds, dressed as a clown, singing royal. When I woke up this morning (laughs) and I went through the scenario of everything I thought would happen in my day, as one does. As one does. Puddles the Clown was not on my itinerary. Well, as soon as I started reading Psalm 2, I thought about Puddles the Clown. (laughs) I'm sure you did. Oh my goodness. So, but in actuality, a royal psalm is a psalm talking about the Davidic monarchy, like the line of David, the king of Israel, the kingdom of God, all those kinds of themes. I mean, what else would you throw in there about a royal psalm? Um, It's also not just any one particular king, but the ultimate king that David wishes he could be, the exemplary king, the perfect messiah king that will one day rule from zion right because we know that because um, a a lot of these psalms were written in exile after um, 586 bc with the babylonian empire coming in and putting an end to the davidic king king. so there was no king on the throne so although i think psalm 2 you probably could date it before i would i would but it was still prayed afterwards yes and so as a hope as a hope for not like oh this Davidic king that I can see right here is definitely anointed because there wasn't one. Right. So they're looking forward. That's how we know because they kept praying this prayer. Yep. And so we know that it, it was looking And then looking it's forward. quoted over and over again in the New Testament. Right, which it's actually, Psalm 2 is the most quoted psalm in the it New is? Testament. I thought it was Psalm 110. I, I, all, my, all my sources. Oh, man. <laughs> it, if you, like, because if you think about um, all the times, and I think the most quoted verse in the New Testament from a psalm is um, where he talks about this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jesus' baptism, it's quoted at the Transfiguration. First uh, Peter 1 uh, talks about it. Hebrews mentions it like three times. Yeah, Hebrews mentions a lot of these verses. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, and so this is an extremely important psalm when it comes to understanding Jesus, understanding um, the New Testament worldview, all these things. It's an extremely important psalm. So then, but before we jump to how we understand Jesus, how yep. does how is David understand? That's we, where, uh, yeah, that's where we need to go next. How does David understand himself? But also, how does this act as like an introductory introduction to the Psalter in general? Okay, because because we, we, we talked about last week how Psalm 1 um, and 2, most scholars believe, were put at the beginning of the Psalter by an, an editor, um, to introduce uh, the whole book of Psalms like, to give us like an understanding. It's uh, kind of like if you think about like either like hyperlinks or a table of contents. Mm-hmm. It's like it's 
highlighting for you the things that will come about. Right. The blessed life, the wicked life, the good ruler, the bad nations. Mm-hmm. Like These are the major themes that you're going to hit by the time you get to the end right. of the book of and Psalms. And they pop up all over the place. So yeah, that's really good. Let's talk about that. But yeah, let's let's talk through the Davidic kingship. So like, what is... Like, why is that important in the Old yeah, Testament yeah, yeah. story? So um, I guess we would we would want to start in just the idea that God was making for himself a people, right? Yeah. Okay, and so... So then we see this in Genesis. Yep. It's like God wants to make a relationship right. with humanity. That's how it started with Eden. Right. Yep. The Adam and Eve fail. Yep. But they have many children. Yep. As was promised. As was promised. Yep. And eventually you have Abraham yep. as one of their descendants, and God promised him specifically that he'll make a great nation mm-hmm. out of Abraham's children and that he, th- through them, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Right. And so then um, they go down into um, Egypt. Uh, some of Abraham's grandson, Israel <laughs> or yeah. Jacob goes down into Egypt. They have 400 years of slavery. God brings them out in the story of the Exodus uh, through the deliverer Moses. And um, then they make their way to the promised land. Joshua brings them into the promised land. There's a series of judges that rule over Israel. Right. But as the, the people, nation yeah. gets bigger, <laughs> <laughs> they want a king. They like want a the king. rest of the nations, right? And Which is in First Samuel 7 or Second Samuel 7. I can never remember. Second Samuel 7. Okay, yeah. And, uh, and so they ask for a king. And so God appoints Saul. Oh, over so that's them. First Samuel. Yeah, oh, First Second Samuel. Second Samuel seven is with David. David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So First Samuel seven or six or whatever. Uh, they they anoint Saul as king, or uh, they ask for a king, and then it's the story of Saul becoming the, the king, and then David becomes this embodiment of the one, like the exemplary king. Uh, yes. A lot of pomp and circumstances around this. And then like you said, in 2 Samuel 7, is one of the most critical parts of the whole Bible. Yes. Uh, because God speaks to David and and prophesies to him and tells him that I'm going to make a, a covenant with you. Right. Specifically, I'm going to anoint and you. And yep. specifically that it will last forever. forever. An everlasting covenant. Which is something you can kind of assume about what happens with Abraham. Like this, you assume that this is a, an everlasting and eternal blessing. Right. But this idea of an eternal kingship yes. feels really significant. It, it is really right. significant. Right, because it's not just an eternal covenant, it's an eternal kingship that someone will sit on David's throne forever. From his physical family line. Right. Yeah, which is crazy. And so, uh, and the whole idea of that is that this people that God wants to live with and dwell with and um, form a covenant with, that he will have someone on the throne to rule over them for an eternity, which yeah. is insane. Kings don't live forever. No. Like, if you just read the Bible, <laughs> they die like crazy. <laughs> like, you just, you cycle through them really quick. And so, but but the idea here is that ultimately there will be one who embodies this kingship ultimately and will reign over God's people forever. And yes. that's the hope that this psalm is looking yeah. at and, and that you, the Psalter is looking at. And if you remember back to last week too, that this first section, this first book of Psalms charts David's rise to power right. through affliction. And so really you're all, you're getting like, here's the ultimate hope that we're hoping for. And you're going to read all these Psalms about David running away from Saul, hiding from Saul, awaiting his kingship, being enthroned one day. So really, it is a hyperlink, a table of contents for what you're about to read. Right. This is the hope of the Davidic king, and then you read all these psalms about David not being king yet, and then becoming king by the end of the Psalter. And so when we come upon... Um, a upon. Royal, upon when we when one happens upon I started watching the Great British Baking Show. Oh, it's good. It's so good. I know. I love especially because we like to bake. 
You <laughs> yeah. like to bake more. I like to cook. You like to bake. Yeah. But it's good. It's really, I anyway, like it. a pawn. A pawn. <laughs> when one happens upon a royal psalm, um, what, what, should we, what, should we, what should we be thinking? Because you're going to, as you read through the psalms, you're going to come upon, upon. I, man, I'm all, I'm all about it today. You're going to come on uh, the, the stuff all the time. Come on. You're going to come on, as our, as our executive pastor, Matt Palmer, would say. <laughs> come on. You would, you're going you're gonna to run into this stuff. So how should we um, think about royal psalms? How should we pray royal psalms? Like, I think, should, is that a question we want to answer as we look at Psalm 2? Yeah, I okay. think maybe the first, I think as we get to like, how do we pray? Right. How does this relate to the first psalm and mm-hmm. a, the blessed life? Because mm-hmm. I think that's going to be helpful for us too. So these two psalms are connected and linked together by a couple of important factors. And this is going to help us like understand how we're supposed to use it devotionally. Okay. So think about one, the blessed life that we were told that happens in Psalm 2. Right. We're also told that happens in, in Psalm 1. We're told the same thing happens in Psalm 2 in the very right. last chapter. Yep. For um, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Right. Blessed are all who take refuge in the Davidic king. Right. There's a there's a little bookend between Psalm yeah. 1 and Psalm 2, or what we call inclusive. Blessed is the man. Yeah. Happy blessed is the man. All. Happy are all who, who yeah. uh, take, take refuge. refuge. Yeah. And in the same way that the, the enemies of God perish in Psalm 1, the mm. enemies of God perish in Psalm 2. Right. And we have a repetition of the word meditate. Right. Hagah. Hagah. Um, and, um, you don't get that in the English, but it's there. So it says, uh, his delight is in the law of the Lord and one, two, and on his, his law, law, he meditates, meditates day and night. Right. But in two, one, right. why do the nations reign and the people haga haga in vain, in vain. Why do they Medi- plot? Plot. Yeah. They meditate. think through how they're going to devise a scheme to like come against God's people. Right. Right. So this pe- so instead of starting with the blessed man, right. Psalm two starts with mm-hmm. the nations meditating on a false law, right. the anti Torah. The anti Torah. They're yes. meditating on all the ways in which they dislike God's rule in God's reign, and they set themselves up and they take counsel together. They have big meetings. They mm. form you know coalitions and have their own schools and their own universities, and they uh, their whole agenda is being against the Lord and his agenda. And they say, let us burst their bonds apart. Let us cast off the slavery and the restriction that comes with meditating on God's law and his mm. precepts. And let us create our own standards oh, okay. for ourselves. Yeah. Does that make sense? That does. Like, yeah, I didn't I didn't read it like that. Yeah. But I think that makes perfect sense when you read it in some in context with Psalm one. Right. Where he's setting these nations up as the opposite of the blessed man who's planted by a stream of water. Reading his Torah, yeah, loving read, the Torah, yes. delighting in the Torah, right. but you meditating on the Torah, and then you have this false group of people right. who's meditating on their own law, right. meditating on their, their own, own schemes. On their own schemes. And what's interesting is the um, you, could, you could put those next to each other again, and the blessed man who's meditating on the Torah is planted by streams of water, and whatever he does prospers. These people were told that their meditation is in vain. Yes. So whatever they does, whatever they do fails. It's the yes. opposite. Yeah, and you can also take it back to the Garden of Eden again. Oh, of so, course you can. It all goes back <laughs> to the Garden. Well, so the man planted by streams of water, meditating, loving God's word, is back in the Garden of Eden, and the people who reject God's law, define what's good and evil for themselves, mm-hmm. are cast out of the Garden of Eden, and they perish. Right. Just like Just we're like told. We're told the fall happened with Eve. Yep. Yes, that's exactly wow. right. So this is a picture of what happens when the nations fall away from God's plan to follow his word.
All right, so we've basically gotten up to verse four now. Uh, so this says, uh, he who sits in the heavens laughs. <laughs> the Lord Yahweh holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Yeah, so I think it's so just like the wind blew away the chaff of the people who don't right. uh, follow God's word, meditate on his law. God doesn't really take these people seriously. He's like, they're nothing. He right. laughs at them. Yep. He's like, uh, you're stupid. <laughs> like, he holds them in derision. I, I wonder what a better, more uh, modern. Yeah, more modern translation but would like, be for that. Yeah. He's like, you're nothing. Your understanding is futile. It doesn't make sense. It's not worth right. engaging with. It's vain. It's, it's vain. not going to amount to anything. It blows away like chaff. Exactly right. right. Yeah, at the end of the day. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting. Um, it, it's like uh, I, I was reading this one commentator talk about how what's God's response to people um, plotting their own way against his will? Is it like uh, like does he does he change his mind or does he like accommodate them? No, he doesn't even take account of it. Like <laughs> yeah. that's what that's what I love. It's like yeah. it's just like uh, what do you, what are you doing? I'm just going to laugh because right. what is this? Yeah, so it's really interesting, and, and, and I love this verse. It's often a comfort to me when, you know, I'm especially when I'm around, like, family or yeah. <laughs> or uh, or just people who are ultra-political, which my family's not ultra-political yeah. or anything, but it's it always comes up, you know? Yeah, it always does. And people are like, oh, the state of the world and this and right. that and this 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 politician and that, and I'm like, God's just laughing. He's, <laughs> laughing. He's just like, uh, I got plans. <laughs> like. Yeah, I know. I like. I always want to say like this is like the better way to right. view the world, just with a sense of humor. Like yeah. this is <laughs> what's what's your political stance? It's just with a sense of humor. It's with a sense of humor, but at the same time, right? He's also angry. Yes, with the way the world's structuring it That's itself. Right. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them with his fury. Right. So I, I he's not passive. He's not like laughing it off. Like oh, what you do doesn't matter. What we do does matter. Right. Yeah. And and like how it coincides with God's Torah, His law, His commands, His character matters. Yeah. So we don't just laugh everything off. It's right. it's the fact that like, are we planted by the stream of water, or are we building our own tower up to God, like trying yeah. to like scheme our way to Him? There is a sense that the schemes of this world are futile. Right. But at the same time, like justice takes a side. Yep. And it's angry when yes. injustice is being done. And let's look at what's God's response to like the people trying to cast off God's bonds and trying to break free from his kingdom and his rule, his response is he laughs, but then what does he do? He says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So I have put a king in Israel. That's his response. Is it like, I've got a king. Like, you're going to try to get your own authority and usurp other people and work your way up the ladder of geopolitical power or whatever. Right. But I've already... I've already got my guy. Like I've already set my king in Zion. Like that's his response. Why? Why is that God's response to people plotting against him? That he's like, oh, I've got a king. I thought that was interesting too, and specifically here, at least I, I don't know Hebrew, so I'm <laughs> trusting my English translation right. here. But and terrify them in his fury, saying mm-hmm. the expression of his like anger mm. is to establish a king over them. Oh, interesting. Which I thought was yeah. such an interesting. I would just like. And in, in, in my fury, I'll say, you're dead. You're dead. You <laughs> yeah, know? Right. But like, I will have established my king in Zion on mm. my holy hill. Right. I was like, oh. That's... God's God's fury, wrathful, furious, wrathful response is to establish a new monarch. And I think this <laughs> probably makes 
help what makes sense here yeah. is um well one is he quoting scripture is who quoting scripture god is god <laughs> quoting scripture <laughs> I, was like, I mean he's saying scripture right <laughs> yeah, now that's, that's what comes out of his mouth. i didn't know if like this had appeared in like a prophet or oh, like if it I was gotcha. like if there was a prophet or <laughs> i don't know anyway i think what helps us make sense of it is also the fact that this is a messianic, a royal right. psalm. Yes. So the writer is saying, what is the hope of a world going wrong? What is the hope for a world plotting and meditating mm. on evil intentions? Yeah. It's that God would establish a nation to do justice and that meditates on God's law mm-hmm. and spreads his glory and his wisdom throughout the world. The hope for a world gone wrong is a nation that does right. Right. And a king who rules it well yes. will ultimately destroy and blow away all chaff-like philosophies and people and moralities. Right. Yeah, I absolutely. think that's what it means. No, I think it's good. It's the uh it's the it's the opposite of the king that these people are trying to contrive. He's going to create a king that upholds justice, that meditates on God's law perfectly, that whatever he does prospers, that perfectly coincides with God's will. Uh no, I think that's really good. Um, and so then in verse seven, um, we, does it switch to David? I I think it, that's what I was about to say. I think, yes, I think it does because he says, I will tell of the decree. So I think this is, and we don't know if it's David, but uh, most people think it is. Some people think it's an exilic king or like an exilic psalmist. It doesn't matter. Um, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me. So this is something that God said to, let's just say David. David. Okay. So here's what he said. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Okay, let's stop there because so many things to talk about. First off, was David the son of God? (laughs) Right. Well, was he born of God? And right, there's all those kinds of questions we have to ask. What do we? What is? What? What does he mean by this? Well, if you go back to the the covenant that Mm -hmm. God makes with David in Second Samuel seven in verse fourteen, he says, "I will be to him a A father, father, and he shall be to me." A son, right? And so I think here in Psalm two, uh-huh. if this is David, he's probably picking up on the language that God spoke to him. Oh, definitely in Second Samuel seven, right? Yeah, he's saying like the Lord told me this, and then we get almost verbatim stuff, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I definitely think that. So, but what? But what does he mean by a son? What does he mean by I've begotten you? Um, I think like. So I think there is this is a metaphor here, right? These these are word pictures. This is imagery, right? You will be, you are my son, right? Um, is like a, an adoption language, like because mm-hmm. in in that context, kings and pharaohs they were considered sons of they God. They actually thought they were deity, yeah. right? But we know that the psalmist did not consider himself deity. You know, he was like, "Who is man that you are mindful of him? We are but dust." You know, like he knew. He was like, you know, like he would put himself in the dirt first, you know, right. so he knows he's not God. But he's not afraid to appropriate this idea that he of is sonship. a son no, he's of not. God. He's not afraid. But yeah. what, what what's interesting about this language, especially when we understand that I think, I do think David was aware of a future messianic line or something. Right. I, uh, and then... The he probably exa- thought it was his own son, he Solomon. Did, uh, yeah, I definitely think so. Yeah. I think he thought it would be more immediate. Yeah. Um, but then the exilic people definitely were looking forward to something. And so when they read this, they were thinking of a son of David, right, who would be a son of God, right? And we and, and so what was... Um, what's cool about, like, how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament um, in 
like in types, yeah. we talk about types of yeah. fulfillment, um, is it's not only like, is it allegorical, right? Is it a right. one for one, but there's escalation. And so yeah, yeah. what what David thought of as a metaphor, oh, I'm like a son of God, right. Right? Right, right, right? Becomes true in Jesus, that he is a son of God, that he's the yeah. only begotten son of God, The or a better translation of John 3.16 is that he's the unique son of God. Yeah. There's no other son like him because he is God himself. And so what was a shadow in David becomes substance in Christ. And it's escalated to be like, oh, David was like a son of God, but Jesus is the Son of God. And he ascends to his throne in Zion as well. Right. But his ascension is onto a throne. It's onto a cross. Right. He's Before, asc- and then it's a throne. And then it's a yeah. throne. He ascends to, like, but it's, the yep. cross is pictured like an enthronement. Right. He has a crown. He has a crown, and he's purple, draped in purple robes. And the cross is lifted up, and yep. we're told, like, you have to, as the Son of Man is lifted, lifted up, up, like this language of, like, ascendancy. Yep. yep. He reigns, yeah, absorbing the fury and wrath of God, which is which is exactly about. what we yeah. right here. It's, like, yeah. it's such a cool. That's very cool. It's a, how Jesus yeah. becomes the reigning king, mm. who abolishes fury for yeah. those that trust in him and mm. meditate on his word. So good, creating a new people group to live out that mercy that he extended to who us. Who will extend his glory, oh. his wisdom so through good. all the nations of the earth. Yeah, and everyone who opposes God's resurrection power, mm. what does God do? I laugh. <laughs> that's yeah, funny. That's good. And so so that's son. And he says, today I've begotten you, um, which is actually, that's um, coronation language. So when a oh. new king is enthroned and like a crown's put on him, that was language of the day for like, you are born of the sun god, Ra, or whatever. You right, know, like right, right, right. I, today, that's why it's like, I, I begot you 30 years ago when you were born. That's not what he's saying. He's like, today... I have anointed you as king. I've begotten you as a son of God over my people, right? And so right. It's, it's coronation language. Um, so then we have, ask of me, this is verse eight, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So we've already talked about where, right. the, what what is this fulfilling earlier when we walked through the biblical storyline. So do you yes. want to take that? Yeah, I think the easiest way to say it again, even just within the context of Psalm 1, yep. the blessed man and the blessed king thrives as he sits in the Garden of Eden. Mm. The evil people, evil men plot and meditate on the anti-Torah, their own version of what's good and evil, and they are like chaff, and they will be blown away. The Lord laughs at them. He has anger towards them. A king is seated on the throne, and all the king has to do is ask. Yeah, And the enemies of God will be wiped out. Mm. They will, they'll be blown away. They'll be proven for the vanity their philosophies really are. It's, they're nothing. Yeah. They have no hope to stand in the presence of the messianic Davidic king, right. which is why the last few verses are directed towards the kings. Now, right. they're, therefore, O kings, be wise. <laughs> be warned, O rulers right. of the world. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun which is such a powerful phrase. Yeah, it really so is. Kiss the sun, yeah. lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Yeah. So let, let, I, I want to look, before we move on to that last stanza, I want to look at um, 
I'll make the ends of the earth your possession and the nations your heritage. Because we talked about, as we walked through the storyline of why is there a Davidic king, we talked about Abraham and the promise God made to him that the nations that he, you know, that he would give birth That's to right. nations, that he'd yeah, be yeah, blessing yeah. to all nations. And how is that going to happen? How are all nations going to be blessed? It's by this, this king right. sitting on the throne and blessing all nations with his grace, his rule, his mercy, his dominion. It's right? justice. It's his justice, right? It's not just that the enemies are destroyed. It's that God's kingdom is expanded. Yes. The whole world is covered with the glory of God as the ocean, the waters. Yes, and the then ocean. that's the and then so the fulfillment of that promise that we that we don't we, we don't see in full here is that when Jesus comes over and over and over again in Revelation, this same language is used to talk about the type of rule Jesus has that he that the nations come against him like the dragon and the beast and the nations they they quarrel and rage against the 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 anointed one of God and. He sits above them enthroned, and he rules over the whole world, and he covers the world with his glory. Like, it's like this is yeah. the fulfillment. That that's the fulfillment of this. Also, how did we not talk about this in what? in verse two? I just I just skipped over it. I just want to make sure we say this on the episode when it says that they take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed. <laughs> I just want to make sure everyone knows that's the word Messiah. <laughs> that's the word Christ. Against so Christ and His yeah. Uh, so the uh, Hebrew and, and His Christ right and His, the Lord Christ. And his Christ yeah. yeah. So, yeah, they, they take counsel together against the Lord and Christ. Did you know that's what my name means? What? The anointed one, Seth. Seth? The oh, chosen yeah. one, the, the anointed cho- one. Oh, look at you. Aren't you fancy? You could read this. The Lord <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> Don't you even say it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway, so, like, we I are talking, a- this is a messianic psalm in its purest sense because the word Messiah is in it. Yeah. So I just want to make sure we say that. Okay, um, and then before before we get to the last stanza, um, the last the last verse of this one is, "You shall break them, which is the nations, with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel." Um, it's this image, it's this metaphor of like taking a big pot and throwing it down on the ground, and the shards go everywhere, and it could never be put back together again. Yeah, um, that's a pretty harsh picture for what he's going to do to the Gentile nations, the unbelieving nations, the nations that plot against him. Yeah. Why is this here? It's just, it's pretty intense. Is it a parallel to the the chaff, where I'm just going to blow you away, and those yeah. little little flakes of chaff float with the wind, and you'll never put them back together? Like that whole idea? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think there's like a cheapness in a potter's vessel too, potentially. Maybe mm-hmm. like there's like this, it's, it's you know, it's clay. It's yeah, like, it's, right. It's, it's not a precious metal or anything. It's not precious. Yeah. Um, is quoted a lot, like this idea of a rod, like a rod of iron, a yeah. rod of iron mm-hmm. ruling Which with a rod of Jesus iron. Jesus is we're, we're prophesied later in like Isaiah that he'll rule with a rod. Yep. And uh, Revelation two, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Oh, yeah. So, well, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, so, how does Jesus do that? Like, how is how does Jesus? I don't think a lot of people see Jesus with a huge metal rod breaking things into pieces, like. Yeah. So in in like in how are we supposed to understand that? How are we supposed to see Jesus breaking things to pieces with a big rod of iron? Because isn't a rod of iron a symbol of justice? It is. Okay. Yeah. It's like the scepter that he holds in his hand. Right. And like it's a symbol of power. Power. So you can yep. imagine just it being heavy and when it lands on the ground. Like I, I imagine like a king sitting on a throne, he has a scepter in one hand. Yep. And when he wants something done, he like bangs it on the ground. And it rings through the hole. Right. So yeah. you can just hear a decree going out and the iron striking the stone. Mm. Yeah. Like 
Right. He, and he smashes so, with his justice. Right. And so is that kind of the idea that we get in Revelation when this, this wor- the word of God comes out of the mouth of Christ like a sword, mm. and it pierces, and it yeah. judges, and it and it condemns, yeah. right? I mean, it does. We, we don't talk a lot about that in some circles, about Jesus being the one who actually brings justice and right. smashes sin and, and yeah, remember a part. T- to how like how the chaff is blown away right. in Psalm one. It's by their meditation on the anti-Torah, the right. falseness of their own system of morality and belief, and the way that you're planted and grounded is by meditating on God's mm. law. And what is the king's job? To enact God's law in the land. Right. So as he does that, all plans and laws that are against it are automatically crushed. God's law, the Messiah's law, this king's law, has God standing behind mm. it. What is the na- what do the nations of the world have standing behind their law? Their own desires? Yeah. Their own wishes? What they hope might happen? What they most like today? Like what like you have God standing behind your moral code? What what other ground? No wonder God's laughing. No wonder God's <laughs> laughing. No wonder when his iron scepter drops on the stone, everything else shatters. Yeah. Like no, it's good. And, and the next verses, the, the closing here, brings good news even to the Gentile nations, even to the nations that plot in vain. So let's take a look at that. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Yeah. So there's there's hope here. There's good news. There's good 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 news here. You have these these horrible nations plotting in vain, living the exact opposite way that Psalm 1 instructs us to. Like if anyone is completely doomed, it's these people. And yet, an olive branch is held out to them. Yeah. Right? And it's ser- serve the Lord with fear. Yeah. Right? Like kiss the sun, which kiss the sun is is also like um, royal language. I it's always like, think of like a king holding out his hand with the exactly rings what on it. it. He's yeah, like, kiss, yeah, kiss my it's fingers. Exa- it's a, it's yeah. a symbol of fealty, like of loyalty, that you would come and kiss the ring of the king. And so what he's saying is like, don't come to Israel and give David a kiss on the cheek. Like that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like put God in his proper place and right. his anointed king, his rule and reign, his Torah, everything. Like pledge fealty to it, right? And ultimately, I think the best way to talk about it is the very last verse which is blessed are all who take refuge in him. Like, blessed are all. And that word all literally is talking about the nations, the pagan Gentile nations. Because what's interesting in, is this word son here, kiss the son, the first time it's mentioned in verse 7, uh, you are my son, today I have begotten you, is in Hebrew. It's in it's son. But in verse 12, kiss the son is in Aramaic. Oh. And so, which which people around them spoke. And so this is literally saying, kiss the sun, you Aramaic speakers. I'm talking oh. to you. This is literally a promise and a blessing to the nations around us, which was a promise to Abraham that that would be what happened. Like, come from the other nations and, like, take refuge in Yahweh. He wants to be your king. Like, come and be folded in with him. I'm literally going to speak your language, and he is a son to you as well. Like, he, he's translated into your language. He is for you, this son, this Messiah, which I think is super cool. <laughs> like, it is cool. Yeah. So the picture here is of the Messianic king exercising perfect justice in the world and the nations of the world flocking to him. Yeah. 
um, as the perfect judge of what is right and wrong, as the perfect ruler who will give them peace in their land. And this person is Jesus. Yeah. This person is Jesus. Um, in John 5, uh, it says, For the Father judges no one, but he's given all judgment to the Son, mm. so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And whoever does not honor the Father does not uh, uh, does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him. So I think this, I think John is picking up on this language of Jesus is the Son of this passage. Yes. He is the one who rules and reigns, who holds the iron scepter like yep. Revelation 2 has, says. Yep. And when you do not honor the Son of God, you do not follow honor. the Torah. Oh, yeah. You right. do not, bec- you are not the one who's planted by streams of water. You do not take refuge in mm. him. You do not flourish and grow. If you do not see Jesus, right. you do not follow the Torah, right. which is what Jesus was saying to yeah, the you can't Pharisees. Just, yeah, you can't just do the Torah and follow the Father and skip over the Son. Right. Like, that is impossible. You can't have the Father without the Son, and you can't have the Son without the Father. Like, kiss the Son. <laughs> like, that's yes. what he's talking about. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. So wh- why um, is is this verse, verse 7, as we're kind of tying everything back to Jesus here in the, this last section, why is this verse in verse 7 talked about so much in the New Testament? You are my Son, today I have begotten you. And then often it's tied into, it, it's, it's like a punctuation marks put on it with, and with you, I'm well pleased. Like, yes. Like, what's going on there? We get that in the baptism of Jesus in every account, the transfiguration in every account, and then when when Peter and First Peter recalls the transfiguration that he beheld, um, it's he he quotes the same thing. When uh, Paul preaches the gospel in Acts 13, yep. he uses this description. In Hebrews, it uses it twice. Yep. Once just to explain how Jesus is preeminent over all over things, angels and all things. Yeah, yep. and then specifically angels yep. in chapter five. Right. So I don't know why. <laughs> like, yeah. Why is the? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I th- I mean, I think the obvious thing is to say Jesus is the long-awaited King. You've been praying these prayers for generations like right. the anointed king is coming he's going to blow away all nations he's going to call people to himself he's going to rule and reign with power and authority perfection and that person is jesus yeah. so i think at the very least we have to say like the reason why this is brought up so often is to evoke everything that's supposed to come with psalm 1 and 2 and that jesus is the new davidic king and then also that he is the son of god yeah like I think those and are two things. I think probably how surprising it was that he was actually begotten. Oh, like, so yeah. Supp- Let's he, talk about escalation. Like he was actually born. <laughs> right. Unlike David, who was begotten was a coronation language. Like, oh yeah, today you become king. Right. And it's like no, like Jesus Everyone, was born. Whenever everybody yeah. heard this first, they had a category for it, and right. it was like, oh, that's that's the coronation ceremony. That's the coronation ceremony. That's the coronation <gasps> ceremony. Oh. And then all of a sudden, yeah, Jesus is born but, in a manger. But check this out. But that's not spoken over him at his birth. No, it spoke. Which, but sure, like yes, yeah, yeah. the incarnation and the birth of Jesus is amazing. So I don't want to belittle that. The greatest miracle in, in my all excitement. Of- <laughs> I don't want to just jump over that. But think about this: when a new king is anointed, right? When David was anointed, what happened? And what does the word anoint mean? What did, what did they do? They poured oil. On the yes, person. right. And so, when do we see this happening with Jesus? It's at his baptism when oh, water yeah. is yeah. is poured over. He's dunked right, right, in right, water, right, right. right? So don't get. I don't want any yeah. mad emails. I believe in immersion. Okay, whatever. Right? Jesus is baptized under 
this anointing water of God, and then the and then the Spirit of God descends on him, anointing him like oil coming up, spiritual oil mm-hmm. coming over him, and then it's escalated where it's not just water and it's not just the spirit of God in the transfiguration what comes upon him the glory of God he's dressed in the vestments of God's light and like holiness and purity yeah. and splendor and that's the other time it's said is whenever he's anointed with God's beauty and like he's like you are God himself like yeah. there's like, like that's there's, amazing there's an escalation of what it means to be begotten yeah and what it, it means to be the king so in one sense it would be a great honor to be coronated a king. Right. It is a surprising honor that the Son of God is born of a woman. Right. And is incarnated in flesh. It's a even greater honor that he is anointed and begotten in his baptism. Right. Which is the inauguration, the beginning of his ministry. It's an even greater honor that he's transfigured on the mountain mm-hmm. and I'm trying to think. And then he and then ultimately he sits down on his throne. Yes. Like, it takes his place. What's amazing here then, like, you want to talk about good news for us? Like, think about this. What does Jesus say after his baptism? He's like, or right before, he's like, let us do this to fulfill all righteousness, right? So right. we partake in Jesus' baptism. We get to be anointed with the same like anointing that he underwent. Like we, yeah. and we're called sons and daughters of God. We get the same pronouncement spoken over us. Just as the dove Holy Spirit came on him, we get the Holy Spirit filled with us. And then 1 John 3, 2 tells us that when we see him in heaven clothed in glory, we will too be clothed in glory. We'll, become, we'll be made just like him. So it's like all this glory, all this anointing, all this sonship and daughtership and like right. adoption and power is put on us yeah. too because of what Jesus has done. Like that's too good news. Like that's that's and too much. <laughs> maybe it redeems for me and even a, a really Christian word is you're born again. Right. You're begotten again. Oh. You're anointed again yeah. for a new mission and a new plan to be Jesus' ambassadors in this world. Yeah. To bring the kingdom that the messianic king has begun in Jesus and continues through you. Yeah. So let, let's let's end with um, a word to, even if they're not listening, you can take this to um, <laughs> your own non-believing friends. But like this ends with a message to non-believers, right? Yeah. To those outside. And what is what is the message to them? It's like take refuge in God. And like I love, uh, I read one commentator talk about how refuge in God is like the best metaphor for talking about faith. That mm-hmm. what does it mean when we say that we have faith in Jesus? We're saying that we like trust him to be our safety, to be the one who protects us from outside forces right. and evil and injustice and the wrath that we deserve, all this stuff. So like to our unbelieving friends, like there's a word right. for them here. And it's like, take come, refuge. Take refuge. Like, and you might not see that your need for refuge. Right. Because you say, no, 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 my, my, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah. But I think you probably have a desire for justice in this world. Yes. You want to see the right thing done mm-hmm. for the most amount of people. And that can't be done by your moral standards. No. You won't make a good king for all people. Hmm. Your laws won't actually bring justice as much as you think they do. I don't think they will. I don't think and if you say that your laws and your morality is best for all people for all times, I think that's just hubris talking. Right. And I would encourage you to humble yourself before God who sits with a law of iron 
and has been speaking from the foundation of the world, a wisdom that you can take refuge in. Like his wisdom will one day overpower your own. His law will one day overtake your own and he will be proved to be righteous and just, more just and better than you are. And if you don't, if you want to escape the futility of your own moral code and the futility of your own justice, you must take refuge in his. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Thank you.